Come on, don't be shy because we're going to move right along. All right, Paula, you're first. Anything you want to share on how um, this whole thing? Kurt, here. Meet me over here. <laughs> uh, the, going through the book and going through uh, fellowship with the brothers and sisters of Christ was really meaningful. Um, it's not something I've always been comfortable doing, but to see the other people's perspective on what the questions and what the book meant was very enlightening. Um, the fact that the Lord doesn't have to work up to be where he's at. He's already there. And he welcomes us. We're the sinners. We're the, we're the low of the low. And he is gentle. And he is lowly. And he is like us. He came on this earth and he went through everything we did, yet without sin. And that is, he's our brother, and he's our father, and he's all that wrapped in one. And it's, hopefully to me, this will bring me closer to my wife and my friends and my family. So. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Anything you want to? Andrew. Thank you. Although this is somewhat not connected, but, but it is to a gentle and lowly. Um, I got to talking with a student at school, um, really about Sunday school, not, not about the uh, sermons. And, um, and as you were preaching on gentle and lowly, that student and family started coming back to church. So mm. I'm hoping and praying that they continue to, to do so. Good. Good. Anybody else? How has God used that? Or remember, brief. <laughs> I love you, buddy. I love you, buddy. Dean was waiting, but go ahead. I can be pretty dumb. I'll take it you are too, because I can be instructed in all kinds of good stuff. But when I get an image, wow! And the best image. Uh, although there were a number of them, from Devil and Lowly, was that God's the healer, and He pulls us right up. And I just really worked with that image. I have to get in the bucket. I have to get in the bucket, but it's there for me to get in anytime I want to. And then He does the work. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Anybody else? Anything? 
Dean was recruited as one of our leaders, and we have been overworking Dean a lot. He is he is leading the Bible study on Thursday. He is uh, filling in for Pastor Kent on Wednesday, and he's teaching Sunday school on Sundays. We've been we've been abusing him. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> personality of God. That's a, a, a great a great picture. Yeah, Dean was leading one of the new groups at Karen's house, and uh, they've talked about possibly continuing on. But anyway, go ahead. Probably not until fall. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with what everyone said. Um, I'm kind of, I read it, and I see it, and I'm not really a digger. I'm a lover. <laughs> but... Um, I really appreciated the depth that um, Dane had in writing the book and bringing forth things that I had never seen. And I know that Jesus intercedes for me, but I didn't realize how often, and that it's all the time, and he's our advocate. And I just really appreciated um, Dean's leadership and um, everyone speaking up and it was it was great to hear everyone's opinions and thoughts, and so it's a book I'm going to read again because mm-hmm. I really felt like I learned something, and I gave the book to two people. One person didn't read it, and one person read about six chapters. And but you know they have it, so they can read it later. But I really enjoyed the study. Good, good. Well, my, one of my sisters. Uh, it was very instrumental in me coming to Christ, you know, and I, so I always think of her as, you know, a, a bit ahead of me on that. And she told me, she said, I had to stop reading for a while. She said, I was just, it was just really, she said, I kind of felt convicted and I had to stop and put it down and, you know, pick it back up again later. But anyway, anybody else want to share anything? We need to share more often because you guys are reluctant to do this. So we'll get the, get the practice going better. I was a little nervous about using a book to draw our sermons from and Bible study from, but I appreciated how Dane used scripture and then helped articulate what the scripture was saying versus starting with his thoughts and then um, using scripture to justify his thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so really I felt the, the book was very well written and appreciated just the insights that Dane provided. Um, I didn't share the book with anyone, but I intend to now that I've come through it and have seen the things that he's brought to light. And I think for me, it's helped me kind of change my communication with my kids, um, seeing how God views us even when we mess up, right, when we make bad choices. And so I've had the opportunity to kind of talk with my kids about 
okay, that was a bad choice, but we can still learn from that. And guess what? I love you, and God loves you all the more, even, even though you've made a, mess, uh, a mistake, and so we can move forward. So I've appreciated just how it's impacted me with my children. I've also been able to kind of share some of those things with a coworker who's dealing with an older child that was making bad choices and how her example um, of loving them is a picture of God's unconditional love for us as well. And I, the book, the things, the scripture that Dane brought to light kind of helped me in that conversation with her. And I just appreciated that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. Now, when we're talking about the book, I'm hoping, you know, that it's really the, those scriptures that have impacted you, what we're thinking and looking at. Anybody else want to share anything? Okay, in your bulletin, you have an outline, and um, several people, are ten, are going to help me with this part of the, uh, of the message. Dean is going to lead us off on the first part, and everybody else knows their role in this. So, thank you. How do you picture God? Some of our thoughts are accurate, some are not. But not all but all of our pictures are incomplete. There is more to who he is than we can grasp. But we can also grasp more than we now know. The last ten weeks we've been trying to enlarge our picture, our understanding of God, by looking at some of what the Bible tells us his heart is like, according to what he tells us in his word. We began with Matthew eleven, twenty five through thirty. The eleventh 11th chapter of Matthew starts out with Jesus speaking about the importance of John the Baptist's ministry and transitions to the fact that the people had closed their ears to the ministry of God's prophets. Those thoughts led Jesus to a prayer and two proclamations, which is where we pick up the chapter. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In these verses, Jesus, God the Son, talks to God the Father. Then he calls out to the learned and to those who still have much to learn. He calls out to the weary and those who are burdened. He says to all who will listen, come to me. I care. I will help you and give rest to your souls. These words were prompted by John the Baptist's question while he was in prison. And it seems the situation was wearing him down. Jesus let him know he wasn't forgotten. He wasn't alone. That no matter, that no matter one's position, they do matter. What we saw that first week is, he cares. We are not abandoned, he cares. 
Thank you, Dean. We should never take verses out of their context when we study them. Always see what comes before and after. That will help us get the meaning of the verses you are looking at. Our next look at God's heart comes from Hebrews 4. The author of Hebrews had been writing about certain creation and God resting, resting after his creative work was complete. He then goes into a coming rest for God's people as well. Then he says in verse 12, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Jesus is the high priest that outranks all the high priests that ever came before or after him, and he is our high priest, God himself. came to live among us, chose to be tempted as we are, yet he was able to face those temptations and not sin ever. Facing those temptations when he came to earth as a man gives him a perspective on temptation from our perspective. Never, never having given into the temptation tells us he can not only identify with us, but he can lead us to victory over any sin because he understands what the battle is. He understands our weaknesses. He understands the battle. We are not coming to a God far removed from the realities we face in life, but one who understands. In John 6... A large crowd followed Jesus because, according to verse 2, they saw him heal many sick people. In the midst of the crowd, Jesus is still focused on instructing his disciples who would carry on the ministry after he was crucified, resurrected, and ascended. This leads leads to Jesus feeding thousands by miraculously multiplying the five pieces of bread and two fish as he breaks them up for the disciples to pass around. They get into a boat and head out across the sea, even though it was dark. When they got caught in a storm, Jesus walked out on the water to them and calmed the storm. In the morning, those in the crowd from the previous day found Jesus, hoping to hang out with him again. Tragically, the people were not seeing yet who Jesus really is. They were seeing him as maybe a prophet like Moses was. These folks were really misunderstanding. But Jesus persists with them, helping them see who he really is. John 6, beginning with verse 32. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one comes to me who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We may, under, we may struggle to understand how God is working. We may get confused by what we see. We may get frustrated by what we don't know. There is always something more we can learn about God. We can always have a deeper understanding of how he works. God does not get frustrated and give up on us. He doesn't get silent because we are slow to learn. He wants us to know him, so he persists with us. He wants us to see him more clearly and understand him more completely. So he persists with us. He doesn't get frustrated with our slow pace and our misguided steps. He persists. We all need help sometimes. We may not like to admit it, but it is true. It is a great gift, a great blessing to have someone who is willing to help you, someone to speak on your behalf. It is an even greater blessing if they are there when you need that intervention. It is an even greater blessing when you have someone who will stand up for you when you are wrong, not to approve your misdeeds, but to speak on your behalf. Jesus is the one who stands for us, the one who speaks on our behalf. He doesn't make up excuses or downplay our misdeeds, our sin. He speaks up and says, yes, we are guilty. He doesn't deny that we are sinners. He doesn't say that we are innocent. He doesn't deny the truth of what we really are and what we really have done. What he does is claim us as his own. What he says is he already paid the price for our sin. What he does is bring freedom so that we can put sin behind us, no longer making it our default position. He intercedes on our behalf. In Hebrews 7, it is worded this way. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. 
Jesus exceeds all those who have come before and served as priest to intercede for the people. He was raised from the dead and remains alive to intercede for us, to permanently intercede for us. He is able and even more he is willing to save all those who come to God through faith in his sacrifice for their sin. He is not too busy, not too distracted, not too overwhelmed, not too aloof. He always lives to intercede for those who come to him through faith. We have a need. He intercedes. We began by looking in Matthew 11, where Jesus tells us he is gentle and humble or lowly in heart. Our fifth reading takes us back to an earlier section of Matthew 11. Jesus told John's disciples to tell John about the miracles they had seen Jesus do. Miracles the prophet said Messiah was to do. Then Jesus tells the crowd about the importance of John, the Baptist's ministry, among them in preparing the way for Jesus and his ministry. Throughout their history, the ministry of the prophets was not always accepted. In fact, they killed many of the prophets. Many people rejected John the Baptist's ministry, but Jesus said John ministered in line with the prophets. Jesus connected the current generations with those generations which ignored the prophets and even killed some of them. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear, but God cares enough about us to speak the truth even the difficult to hear the truth. Uh, Verse 16 of Matthew 11. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John did not come eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Many today continue to ignore what God's prophets had to say in the Bible. They have no interest in God, the things of God, or the people of God. But there are also people today who take God and the word of God seriously. When we come to faith in Christ, we have more than a place in heaven when we leave this world. We also have a connection with God right now as we walk through life on the earth. God did more than save us and then walk away. He connects with us now. He connects with the challenges of living in this world at this time in history, in this society with all its complications. He understands. He cares. He connects with us so we know we are not alone, so we can know how to live with him in this world. He connects. I think we can all agree that no one likes to be corrected, but we need those people in our lives who will correct us. Those who care enough about us to not look the other way while we destroy our relationship with God and with others. These people are essential. When we correct sin in our lives, we actually feel more freedom like a weight has lifted. The Apostle Paul cared enough about the people in the church at Corinth. He cared enough to not let them go on in sin and damage their relationship with God and with others. We have two of the letters Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians was written as a respected leader to those who were sure of Paul's compassion and concern for them. 2 Corinthians was written later, 
after some false teachers began to undermine the Corinthians' respect for Paul. Even though it was more difficult, Paul knew he had to reach out to those who still meant so much to him. In the very beginning of his letter, the one we know as 2 Corinthians, Paul shares these words. Praise to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort of through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort, our comfort also overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will share in the comfort. At the very beginning, Paul tells them that what he is going to tell them is not so they will feel bad, but so they will find the comfort that only comes from living in our relationship with Christ. When we leave sins behind, we are able to enter into the comfort of a deeper relationship with Christ. When he leaves sins behind, we are able to know that the internal comfort that comes because we have stopped walking away from God. When we leave sins behind, we remove the barriers that were keeping us from a fuller experience of life with God. The God of all comfort. When we leave sins behind, we realize he comforts. We worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in essence, one in being, one in purpose. They have the same heart. The attributes of one are also possessed by the others. The cares, concerns, and values of one are possessed by all of them. One God, one purpose, one heart. While we may have a hard time fully grasping the Trinity, we know that when we see what God the Father is like, that is also the heart of Jesus and the Spirit. One God, one purpose, one heart. In the Old Testament, we see a lot of interaction between God and his people. The people go through repeated cycles of walking with God, feeling a bit independent, giving in to sin, realizing their need for God and repenting, and God restoring a relationship with them once again. This is a repeated theme throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus, the second book of the Bible, we see this cycle repeated several times. One of the most familiar is after God leads the people through the Red Sea, saving them from the pursuing Egyptians, and then he brings them to the mountain where they receive the Ten Commandments and the law. While Moses is on the mountain receiving the law, the people quickly turn to the sin of idolatry. Moses is so enraged that he smashes the tablets on which God wrote the law. God wanted the people and Moses to remember this incident. So we read in Exodus 34, The Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be prepared by morning. Come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may go up with you. In fact, no one must be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds are not to graze in front of that mountain. Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning, and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai, just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately bowed down to the ground and worshipped. 
Then he said, My Lord, if I have indeed found favor in your sight, my Lord, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wrongdoing and sin, and accept us as your own possession. The people were not faithful. God remained faithful. God was not changed by the sin of his people. He is God, and he remains faithful even though his people may not. He is faithful in his actions because he is faithful in his being. He's faithful. Isaiah was one of the Lord's prophets that was tasked with the responsibility of calling God's people back to living as God's people. His ministry stretched across the reign of five different earthly kings. Isaiah consistently called the people back to God, their true king. We get a great glimpse into God's heart in chapter 55 of Isaiah's book. We will just read the first nine verses of Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, and you without money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not food, and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the promises assured to David. Since I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, so you will summon a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you will run to you. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way, and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, so he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God sends prophets because he wants his people back. He wants a relationship with his people. The relationship is strained and broken by sin. We cannot pay for our sin, so Jesus came to earth, born as a man, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross for our sin. He died because we are sinners. He died so we could be forgiven. We could debate which quality of God's heart is most important, which, we do need, which one we do need the most. One quality we cannot live without is forgiveness. We need forgiveness in order to have a relationship with God. We are sinners. He is holy. We need forgiveness to have a relationship with our holy God. Others may tell you that they will not forgive you. God will forgive you. The enemy of our souls wants you to believe you have done such a horrible thing that you will no longer be forgiven. God will forgive you. Abraham was a liar. Isaac was a deceiver. Moses murdered a man. David committed adultery. Jonah ran from God. Peter vehemently and repeatedly denied the Lord. Paul persecuted Christ himself by persecuting God's people. Yet each one found forgiveness because God forgives those who come to him. Don't buy the lie that you're too bad or have done something too horrible to forgive. He forgives. To say God is love is an incomplete picture of God, yet it is an accurate statement. Love is a quality most often associated with God. A very well-known verse, John 3.16, states, For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The love God displayed was action for our best. He took action, not because we deserved anything from him. He took action for our best because he is God. It was a choice he made to act for our best outcome. The Apostle Paul explains it well in his letter to the Romans. Here is part of what we read in chapter 5. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were his... If, for, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. We don't often think of ourselves as helpless, but regarding paying for our sin, we are helpless. We can never do enough good to pay for the bad, for the sin we have committed. We were ungodly, without a relationship with God. We didn't even care. We couldn't do anything to pay for our sin, even if we wanted to, Even if we realized our need and did all the good things we could possibly think of, it would never be enough. We sinned against God, who is holy, perfect, and not at all tainted by sin. This holy, perfect God does not act toward us in a snobby, standoffish way. He reaches out to us in love, because he is God, because he loves. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. He first loved us because it is part of his heart, part of who he is, part of what drives him. He loves. When a lifeguard has to jump in the water to save someone, they are taught that the person drowning may actually work against their own rescue. It's an unintentional response. When someone feels they are drowning, they will grasp for anyone and anything close by in order to save themselves. When the lifeguard approaches, the drowning person grabs for them because they are trying to save themselves. The reality is that the lifeguard is there because the drowning person cannot save themselves. In fact, their struggling and grasping only makes things worse. Lifeguards are taught to approach the person and gain control of them so they can effectively help save them. Once the person realizes the lifeguard is actually helping them and saving their life, they stop fighting and allow the lifeguard to save them. That gives us a bit of a picture of what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. In the second chapter of his letter, he writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all had previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raises us up and seats us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. We were drowning in trespasses and sins. They were killing us. Struggle and try as we might, we can't save ourselves. In fact, our efforts add to our troubles. They can give us a false sense of security. Our efforts can mask how much trouble we are in. God reaches out to us with his grace. When we get to the place where we know we need him to save us, we surrender to his grace and he saves us. It is not by our efforts, but by his grace and mercy. It is not from our struggling, but through our surrender to his grace. He saves. We sin, he saves. We struggle, he saves. We surrender, he saves. Praise God, he saves. We need to know and remember the gentle and lowly heart of God. That's important. It's important for us, and it's important for us uh, to be able to rest in that and to run to that because there are times in life where we feel beat up and we need somebody who not only cares about us and loves us, but somebody who can do something about that then as well as be with us. There's the picture that we have, you know, as we've been going through looking at, at the heart of Christ. Uh, but there's, there's, really, there's one more aspect of God's heart I want to very briefly touch on as we conclude this study of the heart of Jesus, you know, as we conclude looking at the heart of God. And I would be doing a disservice to you, uh, you know, if, if I simply left us with the impression that God is our big buddy who doesn't really care about what we do. Uh, because the, the fact of the matter is, he does care. Now, he will accept us when we come to him. You know, and when we come to him, you know, and he, he doesn't turn us away, but he accepts us. But that doesn't mean how we live now is unimportant. You know, it doesn't mean that it's unimportant at all because, you know, because God is too nice, too loving to hold us accountable. That's, that would give us an inaccurate picture. I want to close with a few verses which are all on the same quality and calling us to the same thing about the heart of God. Now, I put the references in your outline. You see them there. I'm going to have them on the screen for you so you can follow along. There's a phrase that appears in each one that I want you to pay attention to. And if you don't catch it as we go along, don't worry. I'm going to point it out for you at the end. Um, So the first one. Is Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. It says, For I am Yahweh, your God, so you must, you must do this. You, because I am Yahweh, because I am God, that should invoke something from you. You must consecrate yourselves. Not take a, not take a lackadaisical attitude toward this, but you must consecrate. Put some real effort and consecrate yourselves to be holy. Why? Because I am holy. You must not defile yourselves by any swarming creature that crawls on the ground. A little bit later in the same chapter. For I am Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. So you must be holy because I am holy. A little bit later in the same book. Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, Be holy because I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. 
holy. Leviticus 20. Consecrate yourselves. There's that phrase again. Consecrate yourself. An extended effort. And be holy. For I am Yahweh your God. He says you are to be, you are to be holy to me. Because I, Yahweh, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be mine. From the book of Numbers. This way you will remember and obey all my commands and be holy to your God. It comes up in the New Testament, First Peter. He says, but as the one who called you is holy, he is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. Not in the easy stuff, not just when you're in church, but in all your conduct. Pretty inclusive word there. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Ephesians. He says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You see, he's holy. The quality, we, you know, the, the one quality I want to be able to leave you with and the one quality that should be infused to all others is the fact and the reality that he is holy and it is a holy God. In each of these qualities that we looked at, each of them that, you know, if you were jotting them down, each of them that shows up on, on your sheet there, uh, you know, we, over the last ten weeks, what overrides them all, what infuses, infuses them all is the fact that God is holy. The other qualities do not override and they do not negate the fact that he is holy and they don't take away from his holiness. All the other qualities are to accentuate his holiness. Now, you may have noticed there, he is holy and he has also called us to be holy. It comes up over and over and over again. He has called us to be holy as well. It is stated in all of those verses that I read to you that we are to be holy. The heart of Jesus longs for us to be holy just as he is holy. And all of these other qualities are to lead us into a, into a, a, a deeper uh, holiness, you know, to make His holiness more accessible to us as we grow in holiness. That's His overall goal for us. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Look at those qualities that we just went through. You know, he cares about holiness. He understands our need to be holy. He persists in leading us to holiness. He intercedes so that we might become holy. He connects with us to help us be holy. He comforts us to help us strive toward being holy. He's faithful to guide us to be holy. He forgives so that we can continue toward holiness. He loves holiness. He saves us to make us holy. He is holy, he said. So be holy in all you do. I hope this has been a good time for you, a good 10 weeks. Well, this would be week 11 of this study. I hope that God has used that. Thank you to all of those who took, help, uh, who took part today, uh, both uh, in sharing and also in the more formal part of coming up. Uh, you have helped make this um, just a good reminder of God and the heart of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reality of who you are. The gift of your grace, the gift of your graciousness, the gift of yourself. 
and the way that you care about us, understand us. You, can, you don't give up. You continue to persist with us. You intercede so that we can draw closer to you. You connect with us and help us in all things and through all things. You come along in comfort when we need that. No matter what it is that's going on, you still continue to comfort. You're faithful to us always. You have never failed in that. You forgive as we come to you, as we open our heart. Thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you for that cleansing. Thank you for the way in which you love us. Thank you for saving us, Lord. And thank you for not only your example, but your help and strength to be holy as you are holy. Guide us toward that end. Don't let us just think about uh, about these things, but to live them out for your glory and honor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.